Welcome to Central Coast Voices, a program that addresses challenges faced regionally, the need for and consequences of change, and how today's choices will impact tomorrow's community. This program is provided in collaboration with San Luis Obispo's County Foundation and KCBX. Chris Kington Barker is your host today, and she's joined by guests from the League of Women Voters, a nonpartisan grassroots organization working to protect and expand voting rights and ensure everyone is represented in our democracy by empowering voters and defending democracy through advocacy, education, and litigation at the, at the local, state, and national levels. We're inviting you to listen and learn and also be part of our conversation today by calling your questions or comments uh, to 805-781-3875. And uh, with that, we'll uh, say over to you, Chris. Well, thank you, Brad. With high-stakes presidential election 2024 is set to be a pivotal year for democracy, and every educated vote matters. One day of note is March 5th or Super Tuesday, when many states, including California, will host primary or caucus elections, and when a number of state and local elections may be decided. Do you have a plan for how, when, and where you will vote? Do you think your vote doesn't matter or it's all lost anyway? Well, joining me today to discuss the history and purpose of the League of Women Voters of San Luis Obispo County resources for local voters, and recent advocacy work of the League on redistricting and campaign finance issues are Anne Havick, Havlick, co-president, Ed Cabrera, first president, and Julie Rodenwald, Rodewald. I always want to put an N in there, Julie. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, Voter Services Director, and thank you for joining me today. Good, good timing on this with uh, being the first coming up tomorrow. The fifth is right behind it. And let's start first with a little bit about the overview of the League of Women Voters, if people aren't familiar with who you are and what you do. The League of Women Voters came out of the suffragette movement in the United States, and it it our birthday is six months after the 19th Amendment was ratified. Our birthday was um, Valentine's Day in 1920, after a 70-year battle for women to get the right to vote. So we're we're we are celebrating this year our 104th birthday. Wow. Um, the League of San Luis Obispo County was founded in 1962, so we, we've been around for a while. Um, the purpose of the formation of the League was that there were a group of energized, intelligent, enthusiastic women who had the right to vote, and what were we going to do with them? So that was the main reason the League was formed so that we could educate our uh, women and have them participate in democracy. So, and it's been very successful. If you are a member of the League of Women Voters of San Luis Obispo County, you are also a member of the League of Women Voters of California and the League of Women Voters of the United States. And we are considered a grassroots organization that our positions, our direction, the issues that we embrace and work on come from our membership, right down to me and San Luis Obispo County. 
So it's, it's a wonderful organization. We are nonpartisan, which does not mean we're not political. We argue for issues, we advocate for issues, and we have a long history of doing that. It's called the League of Women Voters, and I can't help noticing, Ed, that you are the first vice president, and you are a man. Good catch. I know. I know. You tried to fool me, but the mustache gave you away when you walked in here. So is this to say that the League of Women Voters is inclusive of men and everyone, and and you just haven't changed your name. I'd like to think that they're gender blind. Yes. That as long as you have the same attitude, you have the same goals, that it is a very tolerant and understanding organization. I felt nothing but welcome from day one. And I must say it's probably the most professional organization I've ever belonged to. And we do have quite a few men in our organization. Uh, let me tell you about our membership. Our membership is 301 souls. And uh, we were in the hundreds. In fact, back in 2020, we were 117. So we just about tripled. Wow. Which makes us the chapter in the league. We're number two to San Diego, which is quite <laughs> impressive. That is impressive considering the difference in size. Right. Uh, I intended a a convention not too long ago, state convention in San Francisco, where we were awarded for the growth in our league. And when they heard our number, they gasped because there are some chapters in the in the state that are struggling to keep up their membership. What do you attribute that growth to, that spurt? Excellent question. I would think that, number one, it was the backlash to Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court decision, which rallied people to our organization. Locally, people supported our our fight against redistricting. I think they, they did that. But I think most of all, I think it's because people today in a time of polarization and all the, the rhetoric and noise, they're seeking a refuge, a refuge of credibility, of stability, of a neutral voice. And yeah. We work hard as an organization to stay in the middle and service the entire voter community. How, how do you remain politically active without being party active? Well, I, th- I think one of the, the things that, that we do in the league, whether at local level, state, or um, national, is we separate our education and our advocacy. And we've talked about a few things that we advocate for, but but our educational piece is is so critical to our mission. Um, and and in 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 that in that way, we're always presenting both sides of the issues. We're not taking positions. Um, I, I think as maybe we've said before, but we don't support candidates or political parties. Um, so we don't take positions on the local um, elections, but we always try and educate or to provide education to the voters information so that they can be informed either through our candidate forums, um, through we do a series of seminars, webinars called Lunch with the League um, to help bring information to 
to our citizens in um, an easily accessible way. And I think that that's one of the most important things that we do is is the educational piece. Do you have membership of all parties in the league? Frankly, we, we, we never assume, asked the question. You right. never asked the question, so you don't know what people's leanings are. No. That's great. Yeah. So they don't have to vote. I mean, they don't have to record what what they vote as. No. Great. No. Yeah. It's not something we we would ask or really even care about as long as, like Ed says, as long right. as you come with the idea of wanting to protect democracy and empower our voters, then we're going to welcome everyone into um, into the organization. I've been to different presentations and different uh, speaker forums that the league has done, and I've always found them to be informational and um, been able to ask questions. How do you keep that line, and how do, how do you manage for it not to get into a food fight? <laughs> well, I, I think one way is that when we have a candidates forum or a pros and cons, we have a method that we adhere to. And uh, we don't have questions, uh, verbal questions from the floor. They're written on a card and sorted so there are no duplicates. And if there's an offensive question, it is set aside. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we promote is civil discourse. And uh, we have re reactivated uh, our um, civil discourse group that are going out and working with um, the school department and some of the special districts out there that have asked us to help them with facilitating their meetings. So, and I, I think the basic philosophy is that everybody should have a chance to state their view or ask their question and not be harassed and be respected. Right. Right. And with the with going out and helping people to come into compliance with being more civil in a group, how do you manage that? Is there some basic rules that are agreed to by the group? Right. I mean, when we first implemented civil discourse, and I don't – I can't tell you exactly what year it was, but we had a resolution that we – um, took we went out to the city councils and our board of supervisors and to educate them about what our what we were trying to do, and I believe that all of them, with maybe the exception of one city, adopted our resolution, our civil discourse resolution. Mm-hmm. And now that we're bringing that that committee's work back more strongly, we're going out as as Anne said to our school boards and. Um, and our special districts, and and they've put together the the leaders of the group have put together uh, like a seminar where they where they walk the the members through right. how do you have discussions in your meetings, right. you know, and differences to, of to be sealed and and differences of opinion right. and how do you deal with you know members of the public that show up and are not being civil to you and right. and you know th- those sorts of things to give them tools. So that they can truly be civil to each other, even when they're disagreeing, mm-hmm. sometimes vehemently yeah. with with the other's positions. Yeah. Have you seen that those things help? Well, we're still in the early stages of this <laughs> set. Right. Um, when we initially started, 
we had a group that would sit in the lobby for the San Luis Obispo City Council. And they would greet people that would come to the meetings and show them how to fill out um, their little form to ask their questions and how it was handled and what it was done. And sometimes some of our members were the sounding board for these people that were complaining about something and they just wanted somebody to hear them. What was noticed by the city council and by us was that over time, and I think this went on for a couple of years, the tenor of those meetings calmed went down. calmer, yeah. And we were very much appreciated by the city council people, the staff, and the people from the public that came mm-hmm. in. That ended with the pandemic, but um, it was very helpful. And, and the uh, code of civility was read before the meeting began. And I think in some, maybe the city of San Luis, I'm not sure if the Board of Supervisors does it, they actually include the code of civility on their speaker slips so that speakers are reminded of that code when they when they do appear. And a lot of people think, at least they did in the beginning, you're saying that I can't say whatever I want to say. And we said, no, the, this is not limiting your free speech. It's just asking you to be civil about right. what you're speaking about. Um, and, and so hopefully it's um, – you know, we try and model that behavior when we go to speak to city councils or or the um, board of supervisors, and um, you know, hopefully, it's it's making the difference um, with the constituents as well as the elected officials. Yeah, and the key to it is, I think, the culture of the League of Women Voters. In that, I've feel like I'm going to grad school as being part of the, part of the league because. I've learned a lot of discipline. For example, if we're going to have a candidate's forum, we send a memo of understanding to those participants so they know what type of uh, – what, what, how they're supposed to act, what the rules are beforehand. If they don't sign, they're not a part of the forum. And we script everything. We rehearse more often than not. Uh, we have a history of how things are supposed to, to go, and you follow it. The league is very, very strict on how things are done. Mm-hmm. And if you've been a classroom teacher for 40 years and you've done your own thing, it's a little bit of re-education for you <laughs> in order to do it the league way. But now it's become almost second nature. Well, and I think it's like you said, Julie, it's not about limiting a person's ability to no. state their opinion. It's stating an opinion without having to call someone a name or degrade another person um, and get down in the mud. It, you can still really state your opinion. And state your position and be respected and have people right. listen to you yeah. politely. Yeah. Good manners. Yeah. And be thoughtful about it. Um, I'm Chris Kington Barker with you for Central Coast Voices on KCBX. You're a Central Coast listener supported radio station. Ann Havlick, co president, Ed Cabrera, first vice president, and Jody, Julie Rodewald, 
Voter Services Director from the League of Women Voters of San Luis Obispo County have joined me today. If you'd like to be part of today's discussion, we welcome your voice as well. You can call us at 805-781-3875 and bring your questions or comments. So the, the League is nonpartisan. We know that. And the League advocates. So you mentioned the redistricting campaign. Can you talk a little bit about some people may be new to the county and don't have a, a knowledge of what happening happened in, I think it was 21, wasn't right. it, for the redistricting campaign, why that was a big deal, and and how the, how the league got involved. So, you know, the redistricting, um, the, the whole process was a, is actually a good demonstration of our educational work and our advocacy work. Um, so we originally got involved. I mean, at the um, state and, and um, national level, we have always supported um, fair maps following the law when, we, when lines are being drawn and independent redistricting commissions. So we originally started out attending the hearings, giving our opinion about what should happen, um, what we would encourage the Board of Supervisors to do. Um, eventually, as it worked through the process, the the local board um, adopted a map that we'll call the patent map because that's how it was commonly right. referred to, which made pretty drastic changes to um, the representation, um, split up communities of interest. The North Coast was split up. Los Osos was put with Avila Beach and some of the communities in the south. Morro Bay was put with the city of San Luis. Um, Cayucas, Cambria were joined in with Atascadero. So it was a pretty, I mean, and that's not all of it. It was but a that big was this, shift. It was a really big shift. Mm-hmm. And in our analysis, when we were looking at it, we were realizing that um, that the the people that were being shifted out of a supervisorial district, basically their votes were being deferred, meaning that they would should have been able to vote in 2022, but they wouldn't be able to vote in 2022. Um, those were p- from predominantly Democratic-leaning areas, not by registration, but in how they voted in national elections. And those that were having their votes accelerated, meaning they got to vote two years after they they were allowed to vote for supervisors, were in the more um, Republican-leaning um, um, areas. So we felt as a league that this – that they were – that the Board of Supervisors was adopting it based on the effect on parties, which is illegal under the Fair Maps Act as well as, as other laws. Um, and this is an example of issues, not parties. Right. Right. Yes. right. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. and and during that time, we put on webinars to um, talk about state redistricting. You know, inform people what was happening in our local redistricting. Once the map was adopted, um, a group called San Luis Obispo County Citizens for Good Government was formed, and they filed a lawsuit against the the map that was adopted um saying that it was that it was gerrymandered and that it broke the um went against the laws um the league eventually joined in that lawsuit um intervened in it and so we were worked with them throughout that process so we we went from education to advocacy right. in that in that position mm-hmm. because we felt that the that the outcome was 
something that we should advocate for in terms of making sure that people had the right to vote and had representation that was that was good representation for that they were with communities that they could um, agree with. So um, the the outcome of that was due to the election in the. Um, I guess it was the second district. I'm trying to remember what um, what the number of it was um, um, for um, that included Atascadero and Cayucas, and the, because of that and the election in South County, the board flipped from a more conservative um, majority to a more liberal majority, and so the board itself decided to settle that lawsuit and readopt lines. The settlement then was that they would readopt lines that were more similar to what we had before the redistricting. Um, so that's kind of the the process of that. Right. Um, what's come out of that is that we, it looks like we'll have special legislation that will allow um, or require San Luis Obispo County to have an independent redistricting commission. Um, which we feel strongly about because it shouldn't be the elected representatives choosing who would benefit from right choosing yeah. their voters. It should be um, an independent commission right. that um, that it doesn't it will not affect them in any way right. um, whether they get reelected or somebody doesn't get reelected. Right. Yeah. So right. so I just want to add to that that. That the league, the National League, has been involved in a number of lawsuits, and uh, they've gone against Democratic legislators. Mm-hmm. So it's both ways. Looked at it and said, "This is not fair." And in with redistricting, if there's a certain change in your population, a shift, then you don't have to do anything. We were well within that limit of not having to do anything in San Luis Obispo County, and it's a ten-year period in between. Right from uh, each you census. reevaluated each right. ten years. Right, and right. I think it's we we had like a three percent change, and you know yeah. it's like why are you doing this? And so the yeah. explanation was. Yeah, <laughs> not something we could live with. I guess. Well, and and Anne makes a good point. It's it's gerrymandering goes on. Every, pretty well, much and, everywhere. And during that period of time, <laughs> there was a lot that was coming up in a lot of different states, a lot of different right. counties. I mean, in San Luis Obispo County, if if you remember back, we used to have what was called the Ribbon of Shame, which was a congressional district that kind of just ran right along the coast um, yes. because it would help the Democratic incumbent yes. get reelected. That was... That map was instituted by a Democratic-led um, assembly and Senate in in California. So that that was always the, the perfect example to me of what a gerrymandered map looks like. Right. Um, so, like like Ann said, it's, it's was the league involved parties. in that too? Um, I, you I know, I, the league was involved at the state level ah. in bringing on um, supporting the Independent Redistricting Commission, um, which was a voter-approved initiative originally for Senate and Assembly, and then later um, the congressional um, maps also got included in that. Great. Let's take a phone call. I think this is Heather. Yes. Hi. You had a comment? Oh, uh, thank you very much. Yes, so much. Uh, Thank you for your 
participation today, and it's very timely with the election upcoming. And um, my question is maybe basic civics 101, but um, I think, you know, the general public is so, myself included in this question, is so um, um, missing. Uh, uninformed about, you know, how government works. My question is, uh, what is the, uh, you know, who allows for the redistricting? What allows for it? What is the procedure, in other words, and the frequency? I mean, like, did the Board of Supervisors just come up with this bright idea and decide to take a vote on changing the map? Um, And that made me curious, you know, when we went through this whole drama this last couple of years. Um, I just think that a lot of times uh, the professionals, yourselves included, if I may say, you know, uh, you're talking on a level that a lot of people aren't even beginners on. And so they need more color, more detail, kind of uh, even names. You know, there's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, so-and-so's, these guys, because they were the majority at the time, these three supervisors decided it was a good idea, here are their names or whatever. You know, I mean, it helps us to picture it. Oh, that's why. Okay, now I get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah so thanks, Heather. Yeah. So to try I mean, and answer, Julie's going to answer your question. Yeah. To Thank you. try and All answer right. your question about the process of it, um, the redistricting is something that takes place by law um, everywhere in the country every ten years after the census. So. The census is completed in um, the the first year of a decade, like in 2020, and all those numbers are crunched and sent to all the local jurisdictions, um, and it's a requirement that they review those. And um, the the law is pretty detailed, and I don't know all the details, but like Ann said, it has to if it's with the, if the population deviation is within a certain. Um, small amount. I think it's usually 3%, maybe up to 5%. You don't have to make many changes. If it's greater than that, then they're required to redraw the lines so that the the population in each voting district is proportional, as equal as they can make it, given the various, you know, issues about geography and and other things that that exist. So that's the whole intent of the redistricting process. It's not something that just San Luis Obispo County goes through. Um, And and it's, it's, it's very difficult because nobody pays attention to it until something happens that they don't like. Um, and then a lot of people pay attention to it. But it, it only comes up every 10 years, so it's not at the top of people's radar. Um, and and then it's just hard to garner information um, to get people excited about it. You, you have to hold a certain number of hearings. Um, there are things, that there, there are requirements of what you have to do to inform the public. But it's it's not an easy process to be involved in. Um, and so, you know, that's that was part of our mission to help educate voters. Um, in terms of, you know, naming names, you know, it's it's not something that the league necessarily does. You know, we don't support candidates. We don't. Um, we also don't call out candidates or or elected officials. Um, you know, you can go back into the county's website if you want to know the names of the supervisors who voted for it. Um, you you can do that. 
Yeah. But on the on the upside, what ended up happening was that it looks like it's going to be assigned to somebody outside of the county in the future. Uh, not not no. outside the county, um, but not an elected official not an that ele- will benefit. Sorry, not an yeah. elected official. Right. So no one who benefits from the redistricting would. Right. And I don't remember if they've said the number of commissioners that there will be. Um, they'll also set in law how many meetings they have to have, how they get appointed, that sort of thing. So that'll be forthcoming when we see those bills come out of the, the state Senate. Okay, great. We're going to take just a few minutes break, send it back to you, Brad, and we'll be back from you in just a few minutes. From the KCBX Community Calendar, you can find about simple ways that each of us can make a difference to help fight climate change at a workshop on Wednesday, March 5th from 6 to 7 p.m. at the Ludwig Community Center in San Luis Obispo. The event is presented by the Slow Climate Coalition, and it features snacks and interactive games along with uh, an informational presentation. If you'd like to find out more on the website, uh, you can visit slowclimatecoalition.org, or you can visit our calendar page at kcbx.org where you will find um, entertainment, arts, and nonprofit events in San Luis Obispo, uh, Santa Barbara, and southern Monterey counties. And you can submit your item or event to be shared. You'll find it right there on the calendar page on our website at kcbx.org. Central Coast Voices will continue in just a moment. It's an opportunity to get close to those whose reporting helps us to understand our world. We want to feel in journalism all the time, right, that we're educating people, going to places that are hard to get to or dangerous to be in, like Ukraine, is uh, hugely important. Join KCBX for a very special event on Saturday, March 9th at Slow Brew Rock. NPR's climate correspondent Nathan Rott and NPR reporter Kelly McEvers discuss everything from the California environment to Ukraine. Tickets and information are available at kcbx.org. I'm Maria Hinojosa. This week on Latino USA, an intimate conversation with Salvadoran author Javier Zamora on what he thinks the role of a writer in today's world should be. You know, if there's anything that my parents taught me is that writers should be at the vanguard of change. That's this week on Latino USA. If you've got a high-yield savings account, be sure to read the fine print because some banks are changing terms on the fly. You might not be going to the actual website all the time. And that seems to be how, you know, this fell through the cracks of a lot of customers. I'm Kai Rizdal. When those higher rates are a lot lower than advertised. Next time on Marketplace. And that is ahead today on our Thursday here on KCBX. Latino USA is coming up at 2 o'clock, followed by Fresh Air at 3. Then it's Marketplace at 4. Right now, let's return to Chris Kington Barker and her guests on Central Coast Voices. Back to you, Chris. Thank you, Brad. My guests today are Ann Havlick, co-president, Ed Cabrera, first vice president, and Julie Rodewald, Voter Services Director from the League of Women Voters of San Luis Obispo County. And again, I want to invite you to be part of our discussion today. We welcome your comments and your questions by calling us at 805-781-3875. And Julie, we were talking about 
um, we were talking about redistricting and, and kind of how you both serve as an education and an advocacy organization, um, bipartisan, without partisanship. Um, can we talk about the upcoming election and the you know what's happening now with the voters for this county? Are we seeing the same kind of lull? in voting registrations coming in and ballots coming back and kind of the apathy that we're seeing in other places in the country? You know, I haven't. It's it's interesting. We, many of us in the league, um, in fact, all of us sitting here, will be working as poll workers yeah. um, on on Tuesday. Um, we we see a lot of activity because of that. You know, we've mm-hmm. gone to training, we've got manuals, we've got right. um, supplies to go through, we've got a lot of things to do. Um, I, I haven't heard from the clerk recorder what the returns are like for the vote by mail ballot, so I can't really speak to that. Um, we're we're hoping that. We're not going to be lonely on election day. That yeah. we're going to get a lot of people, yeah. you know, dropping off their ballots. I, I think it's typical with this kind of an election that people wait. Um, you know, we only have one proposition on the ballot. Um, it's a it's a primary election, and and in California, for many of our offices, the two people that get the most votes are going to be on the ballot again in November. So we're not choosing a. Um, a, a winner at this point. Now, that's not true in our District 5 supervisorial race. That one will be decided um, on on Tuesday or in the election mm-hmm. on Tuesday. And then in the presidential primary, it's, you know, who's going to get the nomination eventually from from the parties. Um, so I, you know, it's, it's probably typical that it's that it's a little bit more apathetic. But one of the programs that we do um, is high school registration, and Ed's been very involved in that, as I have too, where we go into our local high schools and talk to 16, 17-year-olds. Some of them are already 18. um, Talk about the history of voting and to get them encouraged and excited about participating. And since we started that program, we've registered over 3,500, registered or pre-registered over 3,500 16- and 17-year-olds. And and I think Ed would attest to this, that we're seeing a lot more of the students be interested in completing voter registration cards. They want to be able to vote. They some of them, I was just looking at uh, some of them the other day that came in, and they turn 18 on March 7th. So they're going to miss their <laughs> the first primary. election on March 5th, mm-hmm. but they'll be ready for the November. Right. Um, did I say 17 or 18? They turn voting age on two days yeah. two days later. Um, so I think we're seeing a, an excitement build in our, in our younger voters. And then I think you're going to have the, the people who – vote in every election mm-hmm. they're going to mm-hmm. they're going to turn out they're going to you know vote their vote by mail ballots turn them in mail them in whatever before we um, leave the, the high school registration i wanted to share a quick story yeah we were out at the grizzly academy mm-hmm. we were registering students and after we had finished i asked the students a question because it, uh, all of them were hispanic all of them were minority and i said how many of you people are going to be the first people in your family wow. to vote? Yeah. Every single 
person. Really? Put their hand up. It oh still sends gosh. me chills. Yeah. Chills yeah, down yeah. my spine when I hear that. And it, was, it got even better because I said, do you know studies show that if you vote, your children will vote. Mm. And one of the kids said, she'd better. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, and, and the other point about first-time voters, if you vote in your first election that you're eligible to vote in or in your three in the first three out of your first four elections you're more likely to be a forever voter yeah than if you skip one or two or mm-hmm. three of those first elections um and and so you know that's that just speaks to the heart of our mission is to get people encouraged we don't care how you vote we just want you to participate in the process right. and and vote. Right. I'm I, t- I wanted to add oh. one thing about that is that um, your group has done a, a PowerPoint that is your rights and responsibilities as a voter, which is very well done. And I have used it talking to adults, like a Rotary group or another group, and they love it. Yeah, they love it. There are things in there they don't know. I think it's important. Yeah, you know it's been a long time for civics class for yeah. me too so you know hallelujah to heather for asking the yeah. question yeah i'm going to go to peggy here hi peggy hello hi thanks hi. so much for having the show the program most welcome yeah yeah it's great i'm glad uh the league is nonpartisan and wants to inform the general public about the election and um i'd like to mention that um tonight there's an organization called free and equal and they're located in Cambria, and they're a nonpartisan nonprofit, and they're having a debate, debate with independent presidential candidates. So I thought your listeners might be interested in that. At, that it's online, uh, free and equal, at 8 p.m. our time. And there's Jill Stein from the Green Party. There's um, a couple libertarians. There's independents. Um, so it sounds like a really interesting informative debate so most of us don't get to hear these people otherwise well thank you very much peggy yeah so i don't know if if you guys want to talk about free and equal in cambria sometime that'd be great okay thanks a lot bye-bye i have a question now we talk about how you do education and you've also mentioned there's one proposition on this ballot and boy is it a doozy I, you know, I got to tell you, when I was going through it, it is not an easy one to understand it. Well, it is easy in, unfortunately, for some voters, because once they find out that a bond is going to be sold, it's an automatic. No. 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 Right. It's going to be easy for some people because they're just going to go past it. But unfortunately, if you're a sincere voter, it is a challenge. Yes, it is. It is a challenge. Because I found out today you had uh, a background in mental health yeah, services. I did. Yeah. And uh, in reading some articles, because I want direction from the professionals, they're in a quandary themselves. And uh, so, so many you of them talk say. Talk about it, what Proposition certainly, 1 is. Certainly. Yeah. It's a bond being sold by the state of California to the tune of $6 billion, mm-hmm. billion with a B. And it's really a couple of facets. First of all, Money is going to be taken from county health services organizations, money that was sent to them by the MHSA, which is the Mental Health Services Act. And you'll have to go back to 2004 when there was a proposition. I think you might remember it as the millionaire's tax, 
which took 1% of all the monies that you made over a million dollars. That affects everyone here at the table, right? So that was, a, that was a Not. tax. <laughs> that was a tax. And people certainly will, will, will take it away from the rich people, hence the name Millionaire's Tax. And that money set up a fund which was shared with all the counties. And the counties were asked to innovate, pioneer, and more important, be proactive. And they've, they've instituted a number of, uh, of ingenious programs. And all of a sudden the state is saying that what we want is we want to take 30% of the monies that we gave health agencies and dedicate it to the building of mental facilities and also uh, housing for people with challenges, primarily veterans, Mm -hmm. veterans. And when you look at all the monies, people say, well, wait a minute, that's only going to address 3% of the needs in the state. People, of course, call call that a drop in the bucket. The the, uh, opposite side of that would be that we have to start someplace. Mm -hmm. So... Again, it's money's taken away from the agencies, the local agencies that they had received. It's not their entire budget. It's only monies from MHSA. 30% of their budget will be taken and will be dedicated to the building of the facilities and to provide the housing for people falling under certain categories, especially veterans, Mm -hmm. more often than not. Dealing with PTSD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big it's a big ask. So, and so where does where does where does the league land on this? We oppose Proposition One. It's interesting in its early days. Something that rarely happens in Sacramento. There's 80 members in the assembly. 79 to zero was the vote in the assembly to pass this bill in its origin. In the Senate, there's 40 seats. 39-0. So what do you call that? Bipartisanship. Never heard of. And it was kumbaya in Sacramento for a while. But then uh, thereafter, since the, the process is for both houses to oversee and to come up with a final product, there was a, I guess some people would call it a poison pill, mm-hmm. a writer uh, put into it that uh, brought back forced institutionalization and for groups like ACLU and mental health, health uh, advocates, that was a bitter pill. Mm-hmm. Consequently, there has been some support that has uh, been lost as a result. Now, as you probably know, Governor Newsom is a big proponent mm-hmm. of Proposition 1. And maybe, that, uh, maybe that's why right now the polls say two to one that they are going to vote for Proposition 1. And it's no surprise that uh, uh, a vast majority of Democrats are supporting Proposition 1. And um, maybe half of the Republican Party is opposing Proposition 1. And independents are also in support of Proposition 1. It would be interesting to see how it comes out. It's an important vote. 
It's a it's a really important vote. And we're going to go to Gretchen here. Hi, Gretchen. Hi. You have a question or comment? I do. Uh, I'm uh, actually I'm a new member of the uh, high school voter registration team. Oh, uh, fantastic! And I cannot say enough good about it. So I want to really give kudos to uh, Julie and and the league for establishing um, this program. But I'm curious as to how wed- widespread this is throughout uh, league uh, chapters in the United States, because I just I think it's just so key for getting a more educated voting public. Hi, Gretchen. It's Julie. Um, <laughs> I, so I, I don't know the exact number, but I know that there are many, many leagues in many states that have similar programs. Um, we have a – the um, League of Women Voters of the United States has what they call a pass-through grant that becomes available every year, and they ask for um, – uh, to you know, put in an application to get grant money, and so I know that that we're in competition with a lot of other leagues um, to to get some of that money to support our program. I know that in um, I think it's the League of Women Voters of Northern Santa Barbara County are going to be starting um, such a program. Santa Barbara and Ventura have them in place already, as do um, some of our other surrounding um, leagues. We actually got a lot of our information from the League of Women Voters in Fresno, who had a very active program before we got started. So we all build off of each other's successes, and um, it's, it is, it's a great program to get the, the youth involved. I, and thank you, Gretchen, for that call. And I'm glad that you're participating as a volunteer in that. It's wonderful. Wish I would have had that when I was a kid. Yeah. That would have been great. That would have been a long time ago, too. But, um, well, back then, I mean, I was I turned 18 the first year that 18-year-olds could vote. So we wouldn't even have been going into high schools. Yeah, know, in, that's right. The, um, that's right. It, it came in, down from yeah, 21. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um so let's talk a little bit about, you know, I, I had kind of floated this out to you before when we were just chit-chatting, but I keep hearing about these pillars of democracy. You know, we, we people start talking about the pillars of democracy. What does that mean exactly when we talk about the pillars of democracy? Well, I can, I can uh, identify a couple of pillars. And, of course, first and foremost is the integrity of the vote which is what, why we're here. Yeah. Uh, also, respect for institutions. And we see so many of our institutions, teachers, health workers, election officials, that are coming under attack. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we are all about defending that as well. But there's many more. Yeah, I am you know, an informed citizenry um, having people be involved um, not only in voting but in their local communities. Um, you know, if I, now I, I think it was the city of Bell. I don't know if you remember, the, remember. The, the problems at the city of Bell. And I'm, I'm not blaming the citizens of the city of Bell, but, but it shows what can happen if people aren't paying attention right. to, their, to their local government. I mean, that's just one of the keys about our 
participation um, and and our, our responsibilities as citizens of our community of you know, the United States that we need to be paying attention and, and informed and interested in what's happening at those levels. Yeah, yeah. When when you talk about um, what the league is doing, and we talked about the the youth in the schools learning about voter registration and having an opportunity to actually get excited and sign up. What other kinds of programs and activities is the league doing locally? I have a couple of stories for you. We had a contingent of students attend a voters forum that we had for school board candidates in Paso Robles. And they had the idea that why don't students have their own forum? Hmm. Who's going to be affected more by these candidates than us? Yeah. So they took it upon themselves, and we, <laughs> we were honored that we were asked to, to coach them. Uh, they also, of course, attended our forum, so they learned firsthand. And they had a, their own forum on campus. Every one of the officials was a student. Everyone in the audience was a student. And I've been to many forums, and I have to say that was probably the best organized forum I've been to. I was very proud of them. The second story I have is that I got a call from a a high school student in Arroyo Grande. And he said, I want, first of all, you come to me and come to our our, um, progressive clubs meeting, and I want you to tell us what the pitfalls of registration registering students to vote. It was a purely, purely independent uh, action. So I came and I said, oh, so you're going to want us to come in and help you register to votes? No. No, we're going to do it on our own. Well, you need a little... I learned from them because they wanted to do everything online. Uh, Traditionally, we bring in the forms uh-huh. and they fill out the forms and we coach them <clears throat> on, on filling out the forms. They did everything online, and they were so successful, now they want to branch out to other schools. And you would think, okay, well, they're horning in on our territory. We don't care. They're going to get the same result that we picture. But it's it's exciting when that happens, when students take the helm. Are there more young people that are joining the league? No, I wouldn't say so. Okay. You know, unfortunately, um, you know, many of our meetings are during the day. Uh, it's, yeah. it, it's hard. I mean, we, you know, had talked about how much we've increased our membership. Yeah. And many of our members just want to be members to support us. You know, they pay their dues, but they're busy. They're working. They might have children at home, other mm-hmm. obligations. Although a lot of our new members want to be involved, and they and they joined us to be involved, like Gretchen, that can go to the high schools and and register students or being involved in the candidate forums, and, and unfortunately, we'd love to have younger members, but it's it. I think there are there are many obstacles to to their participation in what we do just because of the time commitments and that it happens a lot when either they're in school or they are um, they're working but things like like Ed talked about where we can involve them in the kind of activities that we do 
set set the wheels in motion for them to be able to join and to be excited about joining such an organization as they get older and have more time that that they can they can donate to yeah. to such a an effort. Yeah, exactly. And interestingly enough, at the national convention in Denver a few years ago, the most hotly contested topic was dropping the age requirement altogether. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I think it would have passed, but at the end, someone rec- uh, reminded us that the insurance company would not cover people under a certain age, and that brought that topic to an end. I, I want to just add that um, for that the pandemic has brought so many changes, and one of them is virtual meetings, which which we have been doing, and we still do that a lot and it's it's a limitation but it's also given us opportunities and we we can have our programs lunch with the league and have all kinds of speakers that can do it for us virtually which is pretty exciting and when in our communications among ourselves we can connect to other leagues and and we can attend virtually attend another programmer meeting on another league in the anywhere and the national has done that too which is pretty wonderful it doesn't replace getting together in person yeah and we all meet that you know we miss it and we've done it a few times and we're all really excited and we can't stop talking when we're together but um it's been it's been a plus and a minus it's it's been very interesting and we have a great communications chair who has been outstanding in getting the word out to members and non-members about our programs. How is the how is the league reaching out to other communities? For instance, communities in um, Spanish-speaking communities, communities of color, communities that um, are maybe not necessarily going to be aware of the efforts of the uh, the league? How do you expand your education there? That's been a, a priority of late of the board. Consequently, we are, are in the process of educating ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, consequently, we're getting intensive DEI training. Okay. We're also, we're also interjecting a segment of DEI. In all our major meetings, we have designated people to to help us with that. We have uh, enlisted the help of the Diversity Coalition. Great. And Rita Casaverde. Uh-huh. She's been instrumental. Great. She has uh, uh, recommended workshops held by Celeste Royer. We've had one workshop, mm-hmm. and we are going to have our next in a couple of weeks. So uh, we we recognize... There's a shortcoming there. That's a, that's a shortfall. Right, yeah. right. We need more more men. Absolutely. No, more men, more <laughs> yeah. Well, more men, think, more diversity, right. more yes. The the other thing that that we that we do is that we we reach out to other um, organizations to partner with them on candidate forums, Latino Outreach Council, NAACP. We're going to be at the Latino Roundtable, Latino, roundtable, empowerment, em- women's empowerment. Yeah, women's empowerment mm-hmm. conference in a, a week. So, so we look for opportunities to make our knowledge 
available to other organizations, but also partner with them so that we can help reach their audiences as well as what our traditional audience would be. So that's been a more concentrated effort, which is great. Right. I really appreciate hearing that. Real quickly, something that you hope for in this election? A great turnout. (laughs) Great turnout (laughs) and... No real snafus. No snafus. I'm looking for universal agreement that it was a fair election. That would be refreshing. That would be nice. That would be Mm -hmm. wonderful. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. I think that... um, Is there anything else that you want to... I would like to invite people to a fundraiser that we're having later on this month. Yes. It's in partnership with the Slow Rep. They have a play called uh, What the Constitution Means to Me. And it is um, the 28th at 7 o'clock. Doors open at 6 o'clock. The uh, tickets are $50 a piece. They are available through our website, League of Women Voters, San Luis Obispo County.org. So... We would love to have them, and the, new people. And the proceeds go to? The League. The, the League. League of Women Voters. Excellent. Excellent. And, and, Thank you. and all of our attendees will be given the opportunity to take home a pocket-sized copy of the UN, United States Constitution, <laughs> thanks to the League. Fantastic. I want to thank my guests today, Ann Havlick, co-president, Ed Cabrera, first vice president, and Judy Julie Rodewald. Voter Services Director from the League of, Voter, of Women Voters of San Luis Obispo County. Next week, join host Mario Espinoza Kulik and his guests for another informative topic. Center Coast Voices has been sponsored by the San Luis Obispo Community Foundation in collaboration with KCBX. I'm Chris Kington Barker. Thank you for joining us today. 